0: I'm not quite sure where to start today's message because it kind of came, most of it came together about 3 a.m. this morning. Um, The the way to start is, is kind of awkward. I've warned you before as a congregation that we are in a spiritual battle. And as we begin to do our work effectively as God's people, we are going to be singled out for special attention. And... I'm aware that there are some conflicts developing amongst people and, you know, there are, there are a number of them. Some are just small little niggles, some are a little bit bigger than niggles at the moment. And we need to be aware of what's going on. So let me read to you some scripture, first of all, that warns us about the spiritual battle we're engaged in. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the high places we need to be aware what's going on we as a church are involved in a spiritual battle now I know that you can't see that with your physical eyes but you can experience it in your physical environment particularly in your relationships with one another and it's very important that we work to the best of our abilities to maintain harmony in all of our relationships because Doyleson Baptist Church is a battleground it's a battleground it really is and as your pastor I'm fighting for the very life of this church now firstly I'm encouraged I'm very excited by this because if the evil one wants to start picking on us and picking and fights left right and center that means we're doing something good Amen. so praise the Lord Amen. we're worthy to engage in the battle But my problem is that I need you to fight alongside me. And a number of you aren't. You aren't because you're busy fighting with each other. And the thing is that you are fully justified in what you're doing. And that's where the big struggle with us is we are fully justified you know, when there are two two parties oftentimes with Christians you'll find that one party goes like here's the situation here's the problem here's the scripture see I'm right they're wrong they've got to change the other party goes like exactly the same here's the problem here's the situation here's the scripture I'm right they're wrong and they've got to change we feel fully justified and but when we fight each other in this way when we fight against each other We're actually fighting for the dominion of darkness and not the kingdom of light. And we need to understand that. We really do. And you might be saying, what, me, Martin? You talk to me? Well, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, yes. But every single one of us can learn from today's message. Because all of us, when we start working for Jesus, we're going to be involved with conflict with one another. You watch. And every single time there's disharmony and disunity in the congregation, you are being used as a tool someone's riding on your back understand that you are a tool of Satan and you foil the work of God 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 19 says no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval that letter brothers and sisters is written to the church he's saying within the church there are some of you that have God's approval and some of you that don't that's a bit scary Because if you're not working for God, you're working against him. And that puts you in league with the devil. Now, I'm sure that none of you want to be in league with the devil, do you? Absolutely not. Me neither. Jesus turned to Peter one day and he says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter wasn't even born again, the poor bloke. And yet Jesus had this incredibly high standard that he expected of him. He says, you should be having in mind the things of God. Stop looking at things from a purely human perspective. Because when we fight with one another, when we're involved in that sort of disharmony, we are seeing things and we feel things, justifiably so and quite rightly, from our human perspective. But that causes us a problem. It really does. Because when we behave like mere humans, we're in league with Satan. Now, I hope I've shocked you. Because I believe that we can change the way that we think and we act. Do you remember last week's baptism? Remember that? Wonderful experience. It was a great occasion. Julie, so exciting. Yes. Praise God. We go under the water. And when we go under the water, it's a death experience. It's a death experience to the old life. You say, I'm dying to my old life. I'm uniting myself with the death of Jesus. And when we come up out of the water, it's a resurrection experience. I'm uniting myself with the resurrection of Jesus. I don't have to live my old life anymore because the old me died and has been buried. He's dead and he's risen with Christ. You need to understand what's happened to you spiritually there. You don't have to live the old way anymore. All the things that plagued you in the past don't have to bother you anymore. Jesus says you must be born again. That means a brand new start to life. Remember when you were born? No, you don't. Of course, I don't either. But you had a brand new start then, right? And when you're born again, you get a brand new start. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 to 14. Now, it says this. If we died with Christ... We believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. It's the same life you and I should be living in the same way he says count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather Offer yourselves to God as those have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Do you hear what he says? You don't have to live the old way anymore. Your old ways of operating are gone. Jesus dealt with them. And now we have a brand new life that we can be living. Because we are under the grace of God. The undeserved free gift of God has been given to us. Paul puts it elsewhere. You must be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's so important. We need to think differently. We don't think the old way anymore. We need to think the new way. The Jesus way of thinking. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 to 21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Are you in Christ? Then you are a new order of being. You're a new species of human beings. That's what you are. You didn't know that, did you? We need to remember that. We are a brand new creation. It says so in the Bible. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. How good is God? He's dealt with all of that. All of your sins have been put on Jesus. He doesn't have to count them against you at all and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God do you know what that means to have the righteousness of God that means that you can stand in the presence of the Father as guiltless as holy as Jesus. That's what He's attained for us and He's given it to you. My sin has been exchanged for His righteousness. Talk about a good deal. And we're ambassadors. That means that each one of us when we behave in that fashion as the righteousness of God we are ambassadors on whose behalf on God's behalf to one another and to this world now this is very strong language so let me show you how you are to live this kind of lifestyle out Jesus says in John 13 verse 35 he says by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another if you love one another So here's the key to solving our merely human disputes. It's called the way of love. Or as the Apostle Paul says, he says, let me show you a more excellent way. Today, brothers and sisters, I'm going to stop treating you as little babies in Christ. I'm going to try to treat you as adults, as big people in Jesus. And now we're going to learn the more excellent way to deal with our problems. Are you ready? Please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verses uh, four to seven. Has someone found that in the pew Bible? Shout me up the page number so that someone else can say it again. Eight one three. Okay, if you want to find it in the pew Bible, eight one three. This is the, the wonderful passage about love. Love, love is the is the true measure of all that you do. Nothing we say, nothing we have, nothing we do has any value at all apart from love. Love is the true measure of all things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7, to 7, Paul goes on to describe the, true, describe the true character of love. And we use this, this word love in so many ways in our culture. And what is love? Is it something you feel? Is it something you do? Well, it depends. The Greeks, they understood love as having different meanings in different contexts. They used the word phileos, to describe friendship love and mutual affection interesting by the way our bulletin says Doyleston Baptist Church the friendly church that's so nice I like that it's the Philios church the friendly church let me tell you something anyone can do the friendly church anyone it can be a friendly group you can go to the men's shed and find a friendly group you can go to the pub and find a friendly group you can go anywhere and find a friendly group. We need to do something different. Philios is, is, is friendship, love, mutual affection. Then there's the word eros, which describes romantic love and all its passion and desire. That's exciting. And there's another word for love that's hardly used at all. It's the word agape. That was the word that the Greek translation of the Old Testament most often used to, to speak of God's love. God's love. Now, philos is is the love of friendship. Eros is the love of romance. Agape is the love of choice and commitment. It's choosing to love another person. The New Testament writers, they picked up on this word. They used it extensively to describe God's self-sacrificing love for man displayed in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. It's a word that became to represent unconditional love choosing to love another person regardless of your feelings that's a different kind of love isn't it one day I hope that this will say the agape church the love church come and experience the love something completely new order of love that's what we need to be described as not friendly no a love church something even better than all of that it's choosing to love a person regardless of your feelings. And you, 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 you couldn't have friendship love or romantic love for your enemy, could you? But you could have agape love for them. You can choose to love your enemy unconditionally regardless of how he treats you back. The word Paul uses for love here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is agape. Agape. He uses that higher order of love. So when Paul describes the character of love in these verses, he's talking about agape love. Paul is not talking about a warm feeling. It's a conscious decision to love another person, no matter what. Paul describes agape love in verses 4 to 7, and he uses a series of 15 different verbs. Our English translations change some of the verbs into adjectives, but in the Greek they're all verbs. Verbs are doing words, get it? They're action words. And I believe that's significant. The love Paul is talking about is not primarily something you feel. It's something that you do. We may not always be able to control our feelings. But we can control our actions. And even to some extent our motivations. That's a little harder. Agape love is something that you choose to do or not to do. And God measures your entire life by that standard. Yeah that's how he's going to look at our life how well did you love agape love have you found 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 to 7 yet Okay. love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it's not easily angered it keeps no records of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes and always perseveres So Paul begins with two verbs that describe positively what love is. Secondly, he has a series of seven verbs that describe negatively what love is not. And thirdly, he gives a contrasting statement to describe love. Love does not do this, but rather does that. And fourthly, and finally, he describes the four things that love always does. So we're going to look at this. It might take me a little bit longer this morning. I'm sorry. If you've got to go, see you later. But stick around. (laughs) Love described positively what love is. Paul begins with two verbs which describe positively what love is love is patient and love is kind now when we read the verse in English they sound like adjectives not verbs once again the original language of all the descriptions in verses four to seven they're verbs they're doing words they're not describing so much what love is but how love acts okay this is how we're gonna live love acts patiently love acts kindly love is patient that means to bear patiently with other people's faults and offences to be long suffering ah who's lived in a relationship with another human being ah yeah that's what we're called to that's it that's love to bear patiently with other people's faults and offences oh goodness yeah okay fine Lord this is the first characteristic of agape love because it's totally unconditional it's choosing to love another person not because of who they are but in spite of who they are in spite of what they do to you in spite of what they have done to you it's a love that understands the frailty of human nature and refuses to take offense because let's face it we carry some baggage don't we we are the sum total of all our past experiences and that makes us the person we are today we think we forget that we're born again we don't have to be the sum total of our past experiences when you walk in the spirit but the trouble is most of us are merely human Yeah, get behind me Satan says Jesus love is patient it's a love that sees potential in people it doesn't demand instant maturity or growth or that they change it's patient with them it's a love that continues to desire the best for others even when they're slandered and abused it's a love that's remarkably like the love of God isn't God patient with us? Psalm 103 verses 13 to 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that we, how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Thank you, Lord. That's the way we ought to look at one another. Remember, this person that you've got the barney with, they're but dust and they've got some dusty problems. 2 Peter verses 3 verses 3 and 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Oh, so often I want you you want well to repent now. Would you? Ah, but the word says, no, I need to be patient with you. If I patiently love you and show you love constantly, you can come to the place of repentance. You need to repent, you know that? And I can see a lot of problems that you guys have got. Oh, crumbs, I'm looking at me too. But let's be patient. Because as we patiently work together, the repentance will come. But I can't change you. That's up to you and God. But I can patiently love you and you will come to repentance. I believe it. Paul wrote in, in, to Timothy, he says, he says, I'm the worst of sinners, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. God is love and God is patient with us. So let's be patient with one another. Secondly, love is kind. It's not difficult to be kind. It doesn't take an awful lot of effort, but it does take intention. I need to intend to be kind to you regardless. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says caring enough to be kind. Sometimes a word is just enough. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. I get lots of kind words from people and they cheer me up. I get text messages. They cheer me up. I hear people pray. They cheer me up. Let's do it for one another. Let's cheer each other up. Let's all go from this place with a smile on our face because someone was kind to us. This world is often not a very kind place. People say and do so many hurtful things. We need a we need a lot more kindness in our world. So let's make it a point to be kind to others. Kindness is powerful medicine for a hurting world. Many people remember an act of kindness forever. I remember when my car broke down. I was at the intersection of the Pacific Highway, and no, um, oh, I forget where the road is now. Anyway, it goes to Monville. I was stuck in the jolly middle of the whole thing. The clutch broke in my first car. It just collapsed completely. And I'm stuck in the middle of this intersection. There's peak hour traffic building up left, right, and center. And behind me, a guy pulls up in this beautiful BMW. He gets out of the car and says, what's the problem, mate? And I was only like 18. I says, man, I can't, I can't, it just, it's, I don't know, it don't work. <laughs> he says, oh, let me have a look. Gets in there, gets it going. He says, listen, you drive my car, I'll drive your car. Where are we going? I had this little, little heap of junk, old four-wheel drive that was rusty and fallen to pits. and I went to this beautiful BMW. He was a rally car driver. I'll never forget that man till the day I die. The kindness he showed me in the midst of this intersection. And I got to drive this amazing car. <laughs> love is patient, love is kind. Those two words describe our passive and our active responses towards others. God is described both as being patient and kind. God holds back His wrath and pours forth all of His mercies. Paul speaks of God's kindness, His tolerance, His patience, and how God's kindness towards us leads us to repentance. So thank God for His patience, and then be patient with others. Praise God for His kindness, and then be kind with others. Let's start that today. Can we agree on that? Yes. We can be that kind of a church. Now, love is described negatively, what it's not. Paul's just shown us two positive characteristics of love. The next section, which is the longest, Paul uses seven verbs to describe love negatively, what love does not do. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered, and love keeps no record of wrongs. So let's have a look at that. Love does not envy. The word here is a strong word. and literally means to to, to burn or boil with envy. We can envy many things. A person's position in life, the relationships they have, their possessions, their appearance. We can even envy another person's spiritual gifts or service for God. But love does not envy because love is glad for what that person has. There's no rivalry. There's no competition in love. And you cannot love someone, agape love, and envy them at the same time. Envy causes us to treat other people in wrongful ways. The gospel writers tell us that out of envy, the chief priests handed Jesus over to be crucified. Envy is a poison. And it eventually consumes the person who chooses to harbor it in his or her life. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says a heart at peace gives life to the body but envy rots the bones it'll make you sick stop it huh? good medicine love does not envy next love doesn't boast if envy is desiring what the other person has boasting comes from the desire for others to see what I've got sometimes a person boasts truthfully about themselves but more often not they extend that a little bit don't they like when I went cat fishing the other day you should have seen the fish that I caught <laughs> the Greek word means to exaggerate or display yourself to brag about yourself literally it means you're a windbag you're full of wind it means to act and talk in such a manner as to draw attention to yourself now some people feel the need to, to, to take centre stage they want others to notice them to admire them they look what they can get from others rather than what they can give to others you cannot boast and love at the same time because boasting is concerned with you whilst love is concerned with others. Closely related to boasting is the issue of pride. Love is not proud. Once again, the Greek is a verb rather than an adjective. The word actually means to inflate. You would translate it, love does not puff itself up. Boasting is pride acting towards outwards in relation to other people and pride is acting inwards in relation to yourself. The act of puffing yourself up in your own eyes so that you feel superior to others. Those little plebs. Eh? That kind of pride, it breeds a critical and a judging spirit. It has no patience with others. has no desire to act kindly. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. And love is not proud. The next pair of verbs tell us that love is not rude or self-seeking. Paul writes that love is not rude. He uses a verb which actually means to to act disgracefully or dishonorably. It means to to violate the accepted standards of behavior in such a way that you make other people feel uncomfortable. Bullies are rude. They make you feel uncomfortable with what they're doing, the way they behave. Paul's speaking here about common courtesy, really. This is, this is love in relationship to society in, in into our relationships together. We are social beings who live in a community. And as such, there are social, social customs and expectations. Love cares enough about people that it wants to respect the conventions of how we behave. Don't invade my space. I love you enough to give you your space now I know it's not popular to talk about these kinds of things in our highly individualistic culture, most people take the attitude, I'll do whatever I want and if you don't like it tough love says I'll do whatever ministers to others and if I don't like it, tough love is not rude love is not self-seeking and this next, next word speaks about seeking your own advantage, putting yourself before others. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we're not to neglect ourselves, are we? That's not what it's saying. But neither should I seek my own advantage to the detriment of someone else. You've heard the saying, some persons love people and use things, others love things and use people. Love does not use people to gain its own advantage. It looks outward rather than inward. It takes the attitude of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love also is not easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. So this is the final pair in this section. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Not easily angered has to do with the short term. Whilst keeping no record of wrongs is a more long-term perspective. To be easily angered means to be easily provoked or disturbed, up, to be irritated, to be touchy, to yield to provocation. Now I know that all of us have certain buttons that we can push and they'll trigger an unloving reaction. Push the right buttons on me on the wrong day and I'll probably end up owing you an apology. But some people are just covered with buttons. They seem to take special pride in polishing and grooming their buttons and they wear them all over the front of their life and people can't help but bump into them. They even set their buttons on hair trigger so the slightest touch provokes a reaction. I heard someone say the other day, I'm easily offended. My goodness, Paul says that is not love. That's walking in the flesh, brothers and sisters, not walking by the Spirit. Satan, get behind me. Stop it. This goes along with patience. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Would you be glorious, people? Let's overlook the offence. You offend against me, I'm not even looking. And that's to my glory. That's good. That's the short term. Blowing up when someone presses your buttons. Others struggle with more the long term side. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Being easily angered is a quick reaction that results in hurtful words and harmful actions. Keeping a record of wrongs is a long-term decision to hold on to bitterness and resentment and to choose not to forgive. It's the difference between a quick flare-up and a slow burn. The word Paul uses here means literally to count the evil and to credit it to someone's account. I know of some people, I've come across them in my ministry, They actually keep a written record of the wrongs that occurred against them. Yeah. Oh, dreadful, isn't it? Was I talking to someone here? Sorry. Big book. 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 Yeah, big book. Oh, my. Yes. But you don't have to keep written records to violate this verse. Have you ever blacklisted someone in your heart? I know what they're like. They're not going to change. I've heard that so often in church. I know exactly what they're like and they're not going to change. Therefore, I'm taking it to the next level. Might be funny, but my goodness, I tell you what, you're working in Satan's territory. Do you have a habit of bringing up the past? Then you're not practicing love. Love does not stir up resentment and bears no malice. Love forgives all offenses and keeps no records. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you hear that? This is the way God loves us. When God forgives our sin in Christ. We read in Psalm 130 verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I fear God because he loves me so much that he'll forget my sin. He doesn't keep a record. In fact, the written record was buried with Jesus. And he died and he took it to that dark place and he dealt with it there. And he rose for our justification. Yeah? He rose sinless so that I might be standing in God's presence sinless as well. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says that that God reconciled us to himself through Christ, not counting men's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That means that I can stand fearlessly, boldly in the presence of God, my Father, knowing that I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which I wear as a robe over me. Jeremiah 31 verse 34, I will forgive their wickedness, says God, and I will remember their sins no more. Thank you, Lord. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. And love keeps no record of wrongs. Now love is described with a contrasting statement in verse 6. Paul's described love in positive terms, what love is. He described negative terms, what it's not. Now he goes to describe love with a contrasting statement. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What's going on there? Love does not delight in evil. When Paul says that love does not delight in evil, he means that love takes no pleasure in unrighteousness, injustice, in any wickedness at all rather than rejoicing love cries out like the psalmist does in psalm 119 136 he says streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed i got to that place this week where i really understood this and i just wept before god when i understood lord your law, your law is not being obeyed by the church. We ought to love one another. That's the law that we need to obey. Forget about all the, all the rules and regulations out of the Old Testament. The law we have is to love one another. To agape one another. And that law is not being obeyed. We do not delight in that. We need to cry out to God, ask for forgiveness, ask for the movement of the Spirit in each of our hearts because the moment we stray from that narrow path of agape love, we're straight on the highway to hell. And the evil one is driving us. He's holding us by the ears and directing us. Notice I've got big ears. I must have been directed a fair bit. We're in league with Satan and in a world world of evils on our tongues and in our minds and wrecking our relationships with one another. Love does not delight when evil befalls another person. Love is never glad at another person's misfortune. and never gossips about another pe- person's problems. Love doesn't delight in evil but it rejoices with the truth. Let's go to the truth now. We've had the evil bit. Let's go away from there. Here's the contrast. Love rejoices when truth wins out, not evil. As Christians, we are to love the truth at all costs. We should speak the truth in love. Scripture leaves no room for watered down Christian love that accepts and believes anything about without regard for biblical truth. So in relational terms, what is the truth? Jesus is the truth. What he's done for me is the truth. And the truth will set you free if you let it. Because of Jesus and because of what Jesus has done, I no longer see myself or you from a merely human perspective. I don't look at your sins and your squabbles from a merely human perspective. We've all had the debt of our sins paid in full, haven't we? our past sin has been remitted that means because of the death of Christ in my place God can overlook my sins before I was born again and since I was born again my sins have been forgiven as I confess them to God again because of the death of Jesus Christ on my behalf he has paid the price in full the debt is cancelled I am free and so are you that is the truth The truth is that now I am seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ. That's the position I hold as a Christian. That's the position you hold as a Christian. That's what you are in Christ. You are seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. From this vantage point, we now look and we do not see the merely human perspective, which is Satan's perspective. Get behind me, Satan, remember. Don't look at things from a human perspective. Look at them from God's perspective. And you can only get that perspective if you are born again and renewed through the working of the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth to your spirit. Now, apply this to the conflicts you have with one another. When you sin against me, what should I say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's it. Because in your sin, that's merely human. But Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I am in Christ. That is the truth. You are in Christ. That is the truth. Your sin has been paid for by Christ. That is the truth. Justice has already been served. That is the truth. Colossians, please open that up. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 Colossians 3 verse 13 bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love no no not Phileos brothers and sisters agape Put on agape, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's the truth. We can lovingly rejoice in it and because of it. Stop seeking justice. Stop seeking retribution. That's merely the human perspective. And that's what Satan wants you to do. That's how he destroys the church. He breaks the harmony within the body of Christ. Don't give him that that leeway anymore all all that issues have already been dealt with in Christ that's God's perspective that's the perspective you can have because you are in Christ seated at the right hand of the Father do you hear what I'm saying that's what the scripture says look at your problems from that perspective and you'll realize that the issues have already been dealt with on the cross of Jesus and because of that you can walk in forgiveness now I know the other party might not understand that fully yet that's all right. Let's be patient with them. Let's love them. Let's persevere with them. Let's be kind to them. Let's build them up. Let's bless them. So they come to the place of repentance themselves and go, like, oh, look what Jesus did for me. I'm sorry. There are four things that love always does. Let's have a look at that. Paul describes love in positive terms, what love is. He describes love in negative terms, what it's not. He describes love with a contrasting statement. And finally, there are four things that love always does. I love this. Love always protects. Always trusts, always hopes, and always persevere. Let's look at each one very briefly. First of all, love always protects. The word Paul uses here is related to the Greek word for roof. It means to protect by covering over. Just as a roof provides a protective covering from the elements, protection is a natural byproduct of love. Paul called it love Peter says this way in 1 Peter 4 verse 8 he says above all love each other agape each other deeply because agape covers over a multitude of sins when we sin against one another let's build a roof over that I can't see it anymore it's under the roof it's been dealt with the blood of Christ thank you Lord God's perspective not the human one God's perspective Love protects. Love always trusts. That's the second thing. Love always trusts. The word here means to trust or believe in, to commit yourself to someone or something. Now, love is not stupid. Love is not naive. It doesn't believe an obvious lie or blindly put its trust in untrustworthy people. But love chooses to believe the best about people and can do so because we walk by faith and not by sight. I can trust God. To deal with whatever the situation is that I'm facing, we might have this huge Barney between us, but God will deal with that. Do you know that? Romans 12 verses 17 to 21 says, "Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." Can I live at peace with my enemy? in fact I can I can agape them I can choose so when someone's on the other side of the the disagreement I can love them and I can live at peace with them because I'm just going to love them that's it I don't take revenge my dear friend says, says Paul leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you'll heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but every, but overcome evil with good this works by the way I've heard of people saying oh let's pray so and so out of the church now no, you dopey person that's wrong let's not do that let's not do that instead let's feed these people let's care for them let's give them something to drink it, this works this works I tell you it works I've experienced it myself I've been a pastor for too long now the only way you deal with the conflicts is to love these people and love them some more and minister to them even when they hate your guts and I've been there you love these people one of two things happens they come to a place of repentance and love you back or they say you know what I can't cope with you you're weird and they leave I didn't pray anyone out of a church they did it of their own accord they couldn't cope with being loved because I refuse to fight. I refuse. I will not fight you. I will love you. So we overcome evil with good. So love protects. Love trusts. And love always hopes. Love is unashamedly optimistic. Love doesn't dwell on the problems of the past. It looks forward with, with future to the future with confidence and with grace. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the confidence we have that we hope for, pardon me. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, I see the pain and the disharmony that our problems cause. But my hope is in Christ. My healing is in Christ. So stop looking at each other and start looking at Him. When you look at Him, you then look for Him in each other. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. Brothers and sisters, did you notice Jesus in the room this morning? He is here. He loves you. He forgives you. He's drawing you to himself. He's here. Would you see Jesus with the eyes of faith today? And then would you recognize that you are the body of Christ? And that when you look at one another, you can see Jesus as well. Go and look for Jesus. Put your dispute aside. Go and look for Jesus in that other person. Watch and find him. Love always perseveres too. Love never stops loving. Love continues in the face of rejection and opposition. It bears up under insult and injury. Love perseveres because love is unconditional. It chooses to love people in spite of themselves. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Paul says that without this kind of love, we are nothing. I want to be something. I want on judgment day for there to be something. I know that my sin is already dealt with. But when God looks at my life, I want Him to see love. Because then there's going to be some rewards for each one of us in heaven when He looks at our love. Now, I have one more scripture for you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. I like these three words. Love never fails. If you will go this way, if you will go the agape way of love, you will never, ever fail. If you apply what you have heard today to all the pains and the angst and the persecutions and the misunderstandings that are going on between you, you will have the victory because God's word says God's word says that love never fails. Why does love never fail? Because God is love. God is agape. And he cannot fail because he's God. God cannot fail. So stop looking at everything from your human perspective. That's the devil's work. Start looking through the eyes of Christ in whom you are seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Take Jesus' name and plug it in to this verse. Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus does not envy, Jesus does not boast, Jesus is not proud, Jesus is not rude, Jesus is not self-seeking, Jesus is not easily angered, Jesus keeps no records of wrongs, Jesus does not delight in the evil but rejoices with the truth, Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres and Jesus never fails. Is he in you? He said he'd be in you. I'm in him, he's in us. Jesus is the only one who truly fulfills this beautiful picture of love. He's a prism that breaks down breaks down the love light into its constituent parts so we can see it more clearly. He's the perfect rainbow of love. So rather than get discouraged today about your own shortcomings, cast yourself upon Jesus Christ who is perfect love. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You are in Christ. Meditate on the beauty of his character. Let God do his work in your life. He will transform you evermore into the likeness of Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit. That is the more excellent way. That is the secret to growing in love. And love never fails. Amen. I've said enough. It's up to you and God. Lynn.